welcome to By the Glass, a podcast dedicated to boozy beverages and the people who make and drink them. I'm your host, Chris Paldoan. This week, we're going to talk about sherry. I discovered these wines during my junior year when I studied abroad in Madrid. I immediately fell in love with the intricate aging system used for sherry production as well as their briny, nutty flavor. Sherry is made in the town of Jerez, and Manzanilla is made in the town of Sanlúcar de Barrameda. These are the only two wine regions in Europe that I've visited more than once. It's a place that feels frozen in time, and the wines reflect that tradition. Unfortunately, Sherry and Manzanilla are misunderstood and underappreciated. That's where Jaime Gil comes in. I first met Jaime in 2016 when I was visiting Jerez for harvest. Jaime showed me around the town and seemed to know everyone we met. In the years since, I've teamed up with Jaime for sherry tastings and events, so it seemed fitting that he hop on the pod. Jaime is the export director for Grupo Estevez, the parent company of one of the best wineries in Jerez, Valdespino. The Bodega's four core wines are made from a single vineyard, Macho Nudo Alto, which has been owned by Valdespino since the 13th century. Over the course of our Zoom call, Jaime explains the origins of sherry, the intricacies of Solera aging, and the consequences of the coronavirus on Andalusia. Jaime is a good friend, so I look forward to you hearing from him. Hola. Hola, ¿qué tal? ¿Escuchas? Sí, sí. Tu barba es increíble. Parece bien, muy guapo. Gracias, igualmente. Si quieres cambiamos al inglés o cuando empecemos. Yeah, inglés o... Probablemente inglés, porque la mayoría de la gente que está escuchando están eh, estadounidenses, entonces probablemente mejor hacerlo en inglés. Oh. I know that things are crazy in Spain right now. Have things mellowed out a little bit? Are they starting to release some of the restrictions? Yes, actually this week, today, we started in phase one. We have phase zero, yeah. phase one. So in some regions, like in Andalusia, mm-hmm. we started phase one. Mm-hmm. So now we can go even to bars that was forbidden really? and we're all closed. So we can go to the to a bar, but only to the terrace. Inside mm-hmm. they are closed. And the terrace has like 50% of occupation. Mm-hmm. So today I could go out and have a glass of sherry in a terrace. Wow. But you know, I think I think I'm gonna be staying home for a while yeah. and then let's see what, what happens. So right. yes, things are improving. I'm sure a lot of it's like regional, but Andalusia compared to Catalonia or central Spain compared to the Basque country, how is everyone doing regionally? So well, it, it makes sense what they are doing because uh, in Andalusia, we are lucky because we have less cases, mm-hmm. also because we have smaller cities. Mm-hmm. So the worst uh, cities with more cases are Madrid and Barcelona. They are the bigger cities. So, so yeah. more cities, more concentration of people, more people in the underground. In Andalusia, we have smaller cities and we go to work uh, walking or in the car. Mm-hmm. We don't use so many public transport and more spaces, so we have less cases. So in some regions, we are starting in the phase one, but Madrid and Barcelona, for instance, in yeah. those cities where they have more cases, they stay in phase zero or maybe one or two more weeks. And Seville's doing okay in all this? Seville in Andalusia, the both the worst cities were Seville and Malaga, oh, really? but not as bad as Madrid or Barcelona. So, for instance, Seville, 
Seville went to the phase one, but Malaga did not. Well, it's challenging because this all came at a time when there would have been Easter celebrations, there would have been, you know, the feria. So a lot of events that would have brought tourism to southern Spain, you know, that was that that's been a huge factor, right? I mean, how did that affect your job? I mean, because you normally travel a lot for work. So I had the tickets to go to Provine, which yeah. is the largest wine fair in the world. So yeah. we had to cancel. Yeah. I also had tickets to go to see you in I Texas, know. In California. By the end uh, of... Vinde Pagos, the Grand Pagos. Yes, yeah. Grand Pagos España event. So it was canceled. And uh, now I, my main job is to travel because I go and see people and yeah. taste with them and present the wines to yeah. the people. But nowadays, I still have a lot of work to do because I cover a big part of the world or many countries. So there are always things to do, but business slowed down, as you can yeah. imagine. Your region is all of North America for Grupo Estevez. Um, yes. Central South America as well, yeah? Yes. So all America, North and South, but the countries that I go the most are the States and Canada. Also going South to Colombia, Panama, Brazil, Argentina. But I go to the States every year, four or five times. And a few oh. countries in Europe, but those are very easy to manage because I can go to uh, Vienna, to Austria, in, and I take two hours to go there. So yeah. I can go spend a couple of days and then come back. And then when you do come to the United States, I know you said you come a couple of times a year. Is it mostly focused on either coast or are there markets that you're trying to build in other parts of the United States? I go kind of everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I go more to the main markets like New York or California, but then I go to Illinois, I go to Texas. There are some markets that maybe you don't expect that they can be good for sherry, but they are like Louisiana. Interesting. Or... So Louisiana for, is that because of cocktail culture or is cocktails. it just, okay. I think it's cocktails and restaurants. Hmm. There are a lot of nice restaurants and sommeliers, they like to use good sherry with the food. Yeah. So I think it's both. Turtle soup, right? Turtle soup and sherry is one of the best pairings, they say. Yeah. So. Oh, the po'boy. Po'boy. Oh, yeah, po'boy sandwiches. That's good. So there's also Sherry Week that goes on, right? Or Sherry Fest yes. that was in Chicago most recently, right? Yes. We had the last Sherry Fest in Chicago, but we haven't had like a very big, big Sherry Fest lately. But every year we have the Sherry Week. So yeah. the Sherry Week, it's all over the world and anyone can join and do any event regarding Sherry. So that's is happening usually in November, mm -hmm. this year, 2020. I think it's going to be November as well. So it's mm -hmm. always a good time to make events around Sherry. So, so I figured this is a conversation when we can talk a little bit about kind of the trade associated with Sherry, but I think it would be good to give people a little bit of context who maybe aren't as familiar with Sherry as a style. So I figured a good starting off point would be talking about the history of Sherry, and then we can talk about how Sherry is made, because it is such a unique beverage, and I it think is. it's so important to understand the processes by which Sherry is made. It's a, it's a wine of process more than almost anything else. And when we talk about terroir, we often talk about not just the terroir of the vineyard, um, but we also talk about the terroir of the cellar, of the bodega. So I figured maybe we can start with history and then maybe go into production. Okay, perfect. So the history, we have only 3,000 years of history in the region. 
We started making wines 3,000 years ago with the Phoenicians, and we have had many different cultures in the city. We had the Greeks, we had the Romans, the Arabs. Even when the Arabs were here, they kept the vineyards. So we have a lot of influence. And then after the Barak, after the Arabs, we conquered the city again in the 13th century, in 1264. That, that is when Valdespino Bodega uh, started. And after that, we also have a, a period of time where the British had a lot of influence. In the 16th, 17th century, they came to the Sherry region to try Sherry, but then they started to buy bodegas. That's why there are so many different, so many names in the Sherry, in the styles, and in the bodegas with some British surnames. So a lot of influence of the British as well. And then Sherry, as we know nowadays, we have been doing since the 19th century, around 1840s, 1850s, before the phylloxera, we started to do the sherry with the solera system and the aging process that I will talk deeper a little bit later. And since then, we have been doing the same styles of sherry until nowadays. So prior so, to the 1800s, sherry was made differently than the style we know today with the solera system. So prior to that, um, how was sherry being made? Was it just made like any other style of wine? It, it was a wine, white wine and red wines, different varieties and consumed locally. But then after the 15th, 16th century, we started to export the wines with the British, like port. It's a similar path. So, and imagine by then, in that time, the vinification process was not so developed as nowadays. And the, the conditions of the sending the wine from one from Spain to other regions, it would take ages on the boats. So we started to fortify, to make the wine, to have more alcohol, to make the wine stronger. And then later we found out that with the fortification, depending on how much you fortify, and if you keep the cellar in the, in the bodega, the veil of yeast would appear. So that's how it starts the aging process with or without floor, and also the solera system. But now we are talking about the styles. So you want, I can start ready, ready to talk about the different styles of sherry. Yeah, I think that'd be perfect. You mentioned the veil of yeast that will develop. And that's such a unique thing that you find almost nowhere else in the world. I mean, you find a little bit of it in the Jura in France. And obviously, there's some producers in other parts of the world that are playing around with it. Um, but what makes that special? How does that develop? Well, it's super important for us, the yeast because that's what makes sherry different in the wines age and the yeast. So as I said, it was an accident. We were fortifying the wines to export to other markets. But then we found out that if we fortify the wines, and the alcohol is around 15 degrees, 14 and a half, 15 and a half, and then we age in American oak barrels, the wine develops a yeast that we call flor. It's a natural yeast, but it's, it's like a bacteria, something natural that protects the wine from the oxidation, but also gives a special character and a very unique uh, flavor and aroma to the wines. And it's something that has to be made only in the sherry regions. The yeast, they come from the vineyard and they develop in our conditions, in our temperature. If the region was colder, we couldn't make wines under floor because the cold would kill the yeast. If it was like more hot, we couldn't make it either. So we need our soil, our grapes, and our climate conditions to create the, the yeast. In fact, 
if you age the wine in Jerez under floor with a 15 degrees with a Palomino grape, you will get a fino. But if you age the same wine, same grape, and you also fortify to 15 degrees, but you make the aging in Sanlúcar, you will get a manzanilla because the yeast that develops in Sanlúcar that is only 20 miles, 15, 20 miles far from Jerez is a different yeast than the yeast that develops in Jerez because the weather is a little bit different. So that's why the region is very unique. So Sanlúcar, we should say, is closer to the water. Therefore, it's a slightly cooler, more humid climate. So the yeast that develops there is maybe a little thicker, a little stronger. So that's the it. Manzanilla compared to Fino, Manzanilla is going to have more kind of like flavors and influences of Flor compared to the wines of further inland of Jerez where they make Fino. Yeah? Yes. The yeast is a different yeast. It's a different Saccharomyces, mm -hmm. but it's also different because the weather is more smooth. In summer, in Sanlúcar, it's a little bit less hot than in Jerez. And in winter, it's a little bit less cold. So the yeast suffer less change of temperature. That's why it's a bit thicker, a little bit thicker in Sanlúcar than in Jerez. So in Sanlúcar, when you drink the manzanilla, you feel more the yeast, these bakery notes, and also the salinity, because the bodegas in Sanlúcar, it's so close to the ocean. Sanlúcar is in the very west of the region, in the southwest of Spain. So the, the sea influence is in the barrels, in the bodegas. So the manzanillas are different in the nose, more aromatic, more intense, more yeast, and different on the palate, more saline. While Jerez are a little bit more pungent on the nose and in the palate, still dry, but very mineral. They're very similar, finos and manzanillas, and you can try some finos and some manzanillas, and it's difficult to find the difference, but the main difference is salinity and intense aroma in Sanlúcar and Jerez, more dry and more mineral. I've always found it to be so interesting because you could use the exact same grapes. The grapes could be from the exact same vineyard and it will be defined as either Fino or Manzanilla solely based on where the wine is vinified and then aged. That has such a big determining factor, like where it yes. is that even if you start with the same raw agricultural product, it's going to end up being totally different once bottled, once cellared in either of those places. Super cool. Yes. yes. As you mentioned earlier, here we talk about the terroir of the vineyard and the terroir of the bodega. As you say, the manzanilla, as long as you age in Sanlúcar and you age on the floor, it will be called manzanilla. The grape can come from Jerez or from Trebujena. That is a small city in the north of the region, even northern than Jerez. But actually in our house, we use for La Guita, for the manzanilla, grapes from Sanlúcar. Mm. And for the finos and the wines from Jerez, grapes from Jerez. Because we believe that is super important, the, the terroir of the bodega, but also the origin, the terroir of the grapes. And we should say for people that maybe are new to Sherry, that that's a very uncommon thing for vineyard designate wines from Jerez. That's not a common practice like it is in other parts of the world. That in Jerez, I would say, what, 95% of producers, they're buying fruit from any particular vineyard and it's not designated on the bottle. Valdespino is one of the only bodegas that you know does single vineyard bottlings. Is that a change? Is it, are we seeing more producers making single vineyard bottlings of sherry or are people sticking to that older negociant style model? It's changing, definitely. I am in the business, I'm new in the business only 10 years, 
So for Sherry, it's nothing. At the beginning, when I used to go out there and say, hey, I'm bringing a single vineyard fino. Some people even in Jerez, they would say, whatever, what yeah. matters is the bodega. And then I would say, okay, but we believe also that the origin of the grape, it matters because the yeast comes from the grapes. And also, if you have a solera system and you always use the same grapes from the same vineyard, the consistency of the quality is going to be the same through all the years. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning, I was like something, it was something rare a few years ago, but in the last maybe six, seven years ago, there are more and more people talking about vineyards, um, buying vineyards, mm -hmm. or people people like uh, Peter Sisek from Pingus bought a bodega and a vineyard in Jerez mm -hmm. to make a single vineyard, probably Fino. So there are people talking about the vineyard finally in Jerez and not only Valdez Pino. And I think it's something good for the, for the region. Do you know the bodega Alba Viticultores? Yes. Um, yeah, they Fernando the Angulo. Yeah, so we had the traditional method, the sparkling wines, and they were great. They were super cool, but it seemed like he was doing very innovative things. Yeah, there are young people doing very cool things, like uh, Alba with the sparkling wines, and more and more people doing still wines from, from Jerez, from Palomino, or even old grapes that we had before the Philoxera. Hmm. So I think it's going also help to the region, because we are a little bit stuck in the sherry, Mm -hmm. But we can make also good steel wines in, in Jerez. So, so you mentioned there were other grapes, but we should say almost all sherry is made with Palomino. In the rare instance, you might get something like Toro Albala making, you know, a Fino style Pedro Jimenez. But most people are just using Palomino and they're using that to make sherry, yeah? Yeah. Sherry made in the sherry region, if it is a dry sherry, it's going to be Palomino. We have three grapes that we use in the region, Palomino, Moscatel, and Pedro Jimenez. But all the dry styles are used, uh, are made with the Palomino, and then we use the street styles like Moscatel and Pedro Jimenez for the sweet wines and for the blends. Maybe I can talk a little bit about the process to try to sum up about how we make sherry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will try to make it simple, even if it is not, but in Jerez, so I have, we have three grapes, Palomino, Moscatel, and Pedro Jimenez. The soil is also very important, the albariza, this mm -hmm. white chalky soil that retains all the water from the rains, that without that soil, we couldn't make so many good wines in Jerez. So the soil is very important. And then the, the Palomino grape is a white grape, dry grape, that once we collect the grapes, we make the alcoholic fermentation, and we get at 12 degrees, base wine white wine dry that we can sell in fact we sell but to make it sherry nowadays we fortify before the fortification we make the classification we see the juice and the free run juice the base wine that we take that we don't press we use for biological aging biological aging as i said is the wine that is aging under the floor so those wine after 12 degrees we fortify from 12 to 15 degrees and we age on the floor to make finos in Jerez and El Puerto and manzanillas in San Luca. Those grapes that we press a little bit more, we get a, a more thick juice. After the alcoholic fermentation, we get a 12 degrees of wine again, but now we fortify up to 17 or 18 degrees to make olorosos. So those wines we call oxidative aging. They are aged under oxidation. 
So the two, the two main agents are biological, underfloor, with 15 degrees, and oxidative, at over 17, 18 degrees, and with no floor. That's why in the sherry, we see different colors, different aromas, and different profiles. Then, to make it more difficult, we have different styles, like the Montillado, that is aging underfloor, like a thing at the beginning, and later we kill the yeast, or the yeast disappears naturally, and then it gets oxidized. So the Montillado has, at the beginning, aging underfloor, like a fino, and then later, like an Oloroso. We have also the Palo Cortado, that starts aging as a fino. We want to make a fino, but some casks, it's like an accident, and they don't want to be fino. So we age for a short period of time underfloor, and then later under oxidation. The Oloroso, as I mentioned, it's always oxidized. And then we have the blends. We blend dry styles with sweet styles, like the cream sherry, which is a blend of Oloroso with Pedro Ximenez. And the sweet styles of sherry, they are natural sweet wines, Moscatel and Pedro Ximenez. Usually, we collect in late harvest and we sun dry the grapes. So after the collection, we leave the grapes under the sun, the grapes become raisins, there is a big evaporation of water, and with this concentration, we start the alcoholic fermentation. We don't finish the fermentation by adding alcohol, so we get a very high content of sugar. The Moscatel, the wine is about around 200, 250 grams of sugar per liter, and the Pedro Ximenez is around 400 liters. So those are the styles. I didn't mention the Solera system. That is how we age sherry in Jerez. So all the sherry wines, well, 99% of the sherry wines are Solera system. That it means they are, they are no, no vintage. So we blend different vintages. It's called Solera and Criaderas. The Solera is usually the barrels that they are on the bottom, and the Criaderas are the steps. So it's a, a continuous process that we blend different vintages. And we age the wine in American oak barrels. So what was the reason in the first place for creating that Solera system of fractional aging? Consistency. Because years ago, the, there was a big difference within the vintages. Mm-hmm. We didn't control so well the viticulture, the vinification. So one year, one wine could be super good, and the next year could be different. So we decided to make the Solera system to keep the consistency. Mm-hmm. So you blend different vintages, and since they are blended in the Solera, in the cask, the consistency, it's the same. Also, for the floor, to keep the yeast alive. Because if you can make a fino, a vintage fino, but the yeast is going to die soon. But with the Solera system, you are continuously, every year, adding younger wine. And the nutrients to keep the yeast alive comes from the young wines. It comes from so the those younger are the wines, and it also comes from the exposure to oxygen, right? As you're running the scales, that floor not only gets nutrients from the younger wine that's being incorporated, but also the exposure to air when you're running the scales, when you're moving the wine from one barrel to another. Yeah, and, for, and for people that haven't either been to Jerez or you know seen photos, it's really a sight to see a bodega, especially like the Valdespino, Tio Diego, and Innocente, the room in which those are aged. It's a massive space. You know, you've got, what is it, over 20,000 barrels in that room, and it's a sand bottom, right? Um, because humidity is very important to retain in that space. 
So how are bodegas generally situating their barrels, their kind of cellar? They're impressive, the bodegas, and mostly, especially the old bodegas. We call them here cathedrals. So we make them with a very high ceiling. All of them are facing to the west with the doors. And in summer, we open the doors that are facing the west because from the west, we get the poniente, which is the, the cold wind. So it helps to make the bodega more cool in, in summer. And they are also very high because the heat goes up. So they are beautiful. We have all the bodegas painted in black to look all the same. And it's like a cathedral, like a church. It's impressive. And even if you see sometimes a lot of cast, actually the, the production is not that big because to make all cherries, you need a large solar system, but at the end of the year, you only bottle a percentage of the solera. So you need a large stock, but you don't produce that much. Yeah, so a, a good example would be like Inocente, right? Or Tio Diego, the Fino and the uh, Amontillado that Valdespino makes, right? So the Fino is aged for 10 years over the course of its solera, right? And Tio Diego mm -hmm. spends about 12 years under floor and then another five to six years aging in a purely oxidative environment. Yeah, you need a lot of time, a lot of patience. And again, Soleras, as an example, as you mentioned, Inocente and Tio Diego, they both have one Solera and 10 Criaderas. And in every step, they have 70 casks. So we have 770 casks for Inocente and 770 casks for Tio Diego. But we bottle only a percentage of the Solera. Of the 70 cast so you need a lot of time when you decide to bottle what's kind of the process do you follow like any sort of lunar cycle like what how the decision on when to bottle and when to run the scales when is that done it's like a winemaker's tradition um but innocente for instance we bottle twice per year in spring and in autumn also it makes sense because those two are the best two moments for the yeast the yeast is something alive. So in spring, after the cold of the winter, you go to the bodega, smells more intense, the, the, the yeast is more alive. Mm -hmm. So we decide to bottle in spring, the Inocente, and then also in autumn, around November, October. After the heat, during the heat, also the yeast suffers. So once the first cold is coming, again, the yeast is becoming alive, and then we grab the moment for the bottling. Like dendramas, that I think you also wanted to ask me about yeah, yeah. dendramas. Mm -hmm. Usually, dendrama bottlings, dendramas, as we call in Jerez, unfiltered. Mm -hmm. So it's the way we used to bottle in the old times. But nowadays, we are going back to the trend of taking the wine from the cask and bottle with almost no filtration, a very, very light filtration, and no cold stabilization, no fining. So it's... Uh, the, more, the closer feeling of tasting the wine from the cask. The wines are a little bit darker, more intense in the nose and on the palate. Are you finding there's, you know, regional differences as to who wants Enrama? Do you find that certain markets prefer it over the filtered version? Or is it universally appe uh, appealing or more, more, more appealing than, than the other style? Uh, it's appealing for the real sherry lovers, mm -hmm. like people who want to appreciate sherry and they want to try the drama version of this Manzanilla from this year and even to compare with previous years 
for some reason in sherry we always thought that should be consumed as soon as possible but actually even fillers and manzanillas they age well in the in the bottle so the drama would be more for sherry lovers that they want to try something more intense more neutral some consumers they prefer regular instead of drama because it's easier to drink mm -hmm. so we do for both consumers and Something that we didn't talk about, but a style of sherry, you see sometimes on bottles, it, it'll say VORS. How do they decide the designation there? Who makes that decision for putting that on the bottle? It's the sherry council and the bodegas that they make the wine, but every bodega can certify some wines that they are certified either VOS, very old sherry, or VORS, very old rare sherry. Hmm. VOS over 20 and VORS over 30. So every time that a bodega wants to bottle some VOS, we call the Consejo, the Sherry Council, they come, they check that the wine is over 20 years old, hmm. and they also taste that the quality is very high. So we get the stamp and we bottle as a VOS. It's like a certification of high quality and long aging. How have we seen the industry adjust to changes in demand. I think there's been a lot of consolidation, right? Yeah, yeah. We had like a, the boom of sherry in the last century. So the sales were, were growing a lot. And some producers forgot about the quality and started to make a lot of quantity. Mm -hmm. um, the image of sherry came down. Another sales are going down, but everything's more stable because we also have, now we have less vineyard planted than years ago. We have about 7,000 hectares of vineyards mm -hmm. in Jerez. And we, we had more than 20,000 hectares years ago. So now it's more well-balanced and we are going back to make high-quality cherries. There's more consistency in the quality of sherry um, as we've dreamlined everything and made a more consistent product. We've gone down on quantity and increased quality. Yeah. So for, so for you, your job is to sell and educate Sherry around the world. Um, Basically. And how much of your job do you spend simply educating people or debunking myths versus like the salesmanship side of things? I don't know how to tell you in percentage, but a lot. I think it's super important. Yeah. Um, especially for Sherry, because if I, if I was selling a red wine, it would be easier to sell but sherry needs a lot of education mm -hmm. and i see that the the importers they ask me to go because if i go to the states for instance and i go mm -hmm. to a city i spend time with the salespeople and then the clients either buyers from restaurants buyers for shops and final consumers and i see a lot of interest in sherry mm -hmm. also because it's something very different so i find people even people on from the trade that they know about wines in general, but then about sherry, they have some doubts. So yeah. for me, it's very important the education and to explain how sherry is made, how sherry can be consumed, some tricks, let's say, uh, to try to tell people, at least try sherry. And I go often to wine uh, exhibitions or mm -hmm. professionals are consumers. And sometimes I find people and they come to my table and say, hey, what do you have there? And I say, sherry. And sometimes they, they say, no, thank you. Mm -hmm. And I say, okay, why? And they say, because I hate sweet wines. Okay. I have here on the table 
six dry wines and one sweet. Do you want to try a dry sherry? And then they asked me, but do you make dry sherries? And I said, yes. And then at least I wanted to try and find out that we make different styles of sherry. Yeah. Because still nowadays, the most sported style of sherry is the cream sherry. Mm. So for many people, the first image of sherry is a dark, sweet sherry. That with all my respects, is a good sherry. But some consumers, they don't even try because they want to try something dry. So I want to give them the chance to try a fino, a manzanilla, or an amontillado. And then also the, the timing of the consumption is very important. The temperature, the glass, like if you try a hot manzanilla with a dessert, which by the way, the bottle has been open, open in the bar for two years, you're not gonna try sherry, never, again. Yeah. But if you try a cold manzanilla in a white wine glass with oysters or jamón ibérico, you say, hey, that's good. We should talk a little bit about that. If someone were to go to the store and buy a bottle of Laguita or Inocente, how long would a bottle of biologically aged sherry last for from the time you crack it open? Uh, after one week, it's going to lose the freshness. The yeast is not going to be so active. You still can drink it but it's going to be a little bit more nutty. So much more than a white wine, but my recommendation is you open, you drink it, you enjoy it. You drink it cold, and you were mentioning Laguita, the Manzanilla Laguita. It goes very well as an aperitif before food with anything easy to, to match, like snacks, chips, anything dried fruit, anything salty, but then with fish, like a clams, oysters, prawns, fried fish, it yeah. goes ideal. So you can try almost with everything. And now with the confinement, like I, I work from home, mm -hmm. but then at 1 p.m. or 12 p.m., the aperitivo time, I put a glass of manzanilla, very cold, in a white wine glass with some snacks, and it's very easy to pair. But then you can make up seafood paella and have up the seafood paella with the laquita. Hmm. We love the tapas concept in Spain, and we like pairing different food with different... Uh, bite and different bites yeah. and the manzanilla is ideal for that because it cleans your palate and it enhances the flavor of the food. So let's maybe talk about the other styles of sherry and how they and what you recommend pairing them with because you said manzanilla and fino great with oysters, seafood, but what about amontillado and palo cortado and oloroso? What do you recommend with those? The amontillados and the palo cortados, they have the two aging and the floor biological and oxidative, and they go also very well with food, but with different food. Uh, for instance, some food which is very difficult to pair, like artichokes, mushroom, it goes very well with amontillados and palo cortados. And it goes well with tuna, both amontillado and palo cortado, with many different food, it goes very well. You can drink it also slightly chilled or well chilled in summer. Deloroso, the wine is more intense because the Oloroso has been always aging under the oxidation. So the color is darker, amber color. The nose is very intense. That's why it's called Oloroso, intense aroma. Mm -hmm. And the palate is very rich. You feel a lot of dried fruit, long aftertaste. So it goes very well with like red meat, game, some game that they're very tasty, that it could kill other uh, wines with Oloroso. It goes very well. No, the sweet styles, like uh, the cream sherry, for instance, you can drink it as an aperitif, 
but you can also drink and enjoy with the cheese, like a blue cheese. And the sweet wines, they are more like dessert wine to drink after dinner or to pair with food, with a dessert. I think I once read that, you know, if it swims, you have it with manzanilla or fino. If it flies or has wings, you have it with amontillado. And if you hunt it, if it's got four yeah. legs, then if it runs. you have it with Oloroso. If it runs, yeah. I, I've, I've always found that sherry is one of the most food-friendly beverages. It's just different styles. You're familiar yes. with the holiday of Thanksgiving, yeah? Yes. Yeah, so for Thanksgiving one year, I did sherry pairings with every single course. So we started, I think, with a fino that we had with appetizers. And then with the turkey, we had amontillado. And then, you know, with the sweet potatoes, we had some Oloroso. And then when we finished with pecan pie, we had a uh, Pedro Jimenez. So we ended up doing really well. We had a great meal. Um, yeah, the versatility is huge. And that's also that I, also, I do as well when I travel, like sherry dinners. And mm -hmm. people are amazed because they can't expect that there are so many different styles that they go so well with different food. Let's talk about... Um, like innovations a little bit, like over the past 10 years, you said you've been working, you know, with Grupo Etebez for about 10 years or so. Um, in that period of time, what have been some of the changes that we've seen, uh, whether it's, you know, an increase of that Enrama style we talked about, an emphasis on vineyards, you know, creating unfortified styles of sherry. Like what, what are you seeing that's kind of going to represent the future of sherry moving forward? Mm. Well, in Valdespino, we are very traditional. And I always say that Valdespino is different to any other bodega in Jerez. But the only thing that we made different is nothing. We kept doing the single vineyards. We kept doing the wines fermented in cask. And we kept aging for a long time. So in that sense, Valdespino hasn't changed much, even though now it's kind of fashion. But the reason to be fashion is that we just stuck on doing the things like in the past, but in the traditional way. Like we should say that Valdespino, you guys are the only ones that still do primary fermentation in cask. For, for a company as large as Valdespino to be making Inocente and Tio Diego, to be fermenting those for primary in cask is like, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yeah. But for Inocente and Tio Diego from Valdespino, the production is very small. So every year we ferment in cask the grapes from Machanudo, from our vineyard. And then we age for a long time in the Fino for 10 years and in the Amontillado for 18, 17 years. Also, in the fortification for the biological wines for the Fino Inocente in Maldespino and Laguita uh, in San Lucar, we use Palomino wine, Palomino grapes for the alcohol. We are the only ones. In the, the Sherry Dio tells you that you have to fortify the wine with neutral grapes, with alcohol coming from grapes. But they don't say which grape. But in our house, in Estevez, we use Palominos grapes because we want to use all the local grape for, for everything, for the aging or for the fortification. Yeah. And we talked earlier about how you were traveling a lot for work, you know, uh, or you were traveling a lot for work before the virus happened. Did you find that there were lots of differences in, in terms of preference, like when you were traveling to Brazil? Were people looking for more of that Fino style or do they, were certain places more interested in having an oxidative style of sherry? Did you notice any like regional trends for sherry consumption? Mm, 
about the styles well like classically there are some markets like uk that they are huge for cream sherry mm -hmm. and in general in all the markets what i see is that they are looking more into the dry styles i see more interest yeah. in fino in manzanilla in palo cortado people they love palo cortado because of the mystery and the crazy wine mm -hmm. so i see interest most in the dry styles rather than in the sweet styles but also because when i go see clients usually i go to the restaurant where they are putting different sherries so i see more interest in in those styles and then in cocktails what i have seen with the cocktails mostly in the states and canada it's crazy they are using very good sherry making very good cocktails so it's very interesting. What are some examples of like good sherry-based cocktails or cocktails that contain sherry? The, the thing is that it's, very, it's super uh, versatile, the sherry. So manzanilla, for instance, goes very well with gin. So you can make a gin uh, manzanilla and tonic, super easy. Yeah. It's very, it's very refreshing, the, the manzanilla. So it gives a very unique aroma, texture, and flavor. And it doesn't overkill. The, the cocktails. Mm -hmm. Some people like Olorosos, but that's something very challenging for us sometimes in Valdespino because our Oloroso is a 20 years old Oloroso, Don Gonzalo. Yeah. So it's super intense. So some people they don't want to use our Oloroso in cocktail because it's like very intense. So either they use a little bit or they look for something younger. But I see people that they, they it makes sense, the cocktails they make. There are many different examples. But it's super interesting how they treat all the ingredients and the sherry. It's integrated in the cocktail. I think a lot of whiskey drinkers probably know sherry best as a cask finishing product. Is that mm -hmm. something that's altered the industry in Jerez, this demand for sherry casks for whiskey production? Well, yeah, that's something since many, many years, but in the last few years, there is a big demand of sherry cask. And we don't have the cask because now it's more stable the business, so we don't need to throw away the cask. Yeah. And usually the cask, they last for 70, 80 years old. So we are not running out of cask every year. So there is more demand than offer. Yeah. And there are even some bodegas that they are making sherry only to age cask. Hmm. And it's a big demand. Uh, but in Valdespino, we are also making malt whiskey aged in sherry cask that mm. previously aged Valdespino, old rum, and of course, Brandy de Jerez. We haven't talked at all about Brandy de Jerez, but Brandy from Jerez is made with the Palomino grape. Is there anything else that makes Brandy de Jerez different from other styles of maybe Spanish brandy or brandy from other places? It's the aging. We also make the cellular system. Mm -hmm. So the aging makes a very different character um also the the cask that we age for the brandy they age previously sherry mm -hmm. so you can make a brandy de jerez that aged in Pedro Simenes cask so it's a little bit more sweet so it's very interesting also the the brandy de jerez process what's something that you wish more americans knew about jerez like in general or sherry as a beverage well I understand that that is so complex that some people don't even want to try to reach, but I wish that they, they would try, even that they do actually, they, they try a lot of sherry. Mm -hmm. So just they have to enjoy the sherry as a white wine. 
Yeah. Like manzanilla and fitness, and fitness like a white wine, and the different styles of sherry with yeah. food, as we mentioned. We have a lot of yeah. opportunities there. Not yeah. to think of sherry only as an aperitif or only as a dessert wine. We can bring the sherry to the table and enjoy like a still wine. And Jerez is a beautiful city you have in here, and you know. So it's a great city to visit. We have the vineyards, the bodegas, horses, flamenco. It's a cradle of flamenco. Super good food. Hopefully when the restaurants are back to be open, the beach is only 15 minutes far away. Mm -hmm. And it's not overcrowded of tourists. It's a decent amount, so can enjoy, you can enjoy as a local. And tell people about maybe two or three traditional tapas or regional cuisine uh, that they can have when they're in Jerez. There are um, some things super humble and others not so humble. Yeah. For instance, fino and manzanilla goes very well with papas alignas. That's boiled potato, olive oil, good cherry vinegar, and some parsley and onion. So it's super easy to prepare. But yeah. I don't know why in the bars I like cooking, but that tapa don't make it so good in my house. So yeah. in the bar, just some papas aliñas. That is one you do the tapa. And one fino, you can be the happiest man in the world. Then things not so humble, like the jamón ibérico, goes also very well with fino manzanilla, or the langostins from Sanlúcar. That is a species that is very unique, and it's super tasty. And then rabo de toro, oxtail, is also typical from Jerez. You can enjoy with amontillado or oloroso, and it's really good. Do you want to tell people what mojama is? So mojama is like the ham, the jamón ibérico from the tuna. So the tuna is a very fat uh, fish and very good meat. And some chefs in the area are using the tuna as a pig. So mm -hmm. the mojama is something that we, we cut the loins of the tuna and we cure it in salt. So it's salty, tasty, it's like you are eating a piece of meat, but it's the tuna and it's super yeah. good. Super tasty. Well, I know it's almost dinner time for you, yeah? Now it's time to go out. In our yeah. confinement, we can leave the old, I mean, people not super old, not kids, yeah. after 8 p.m. or from 9 a.m. till 11 a.m., whatever, that I'm working. So now I go out for a walk. Well, enjoy your walk tonight. Um, I'll have a glass of some sherry tonight and think back on this good conversation we had and thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I hope everything goes back to normal as soon as possible in the States and in the world. Gracias a Jaime por su tiempo. Sorry guys, I had to throw a little Spanish in there. I had to do a little bit of Spanish. <laughs> I just had to do it. it, it it's kind of weird, but that Zoom call was the most English I have ever spoken to Jaime. We just always talk in Spanish. I don't know. On an English note, uh, thank you all for listening to this episode. Big thanks to Jaime for hopping on board. Um, and I know that Sherry can be confusing, but on the flip side, it's pretty fairly priced. If you go to the store and you can't find Fino Inocente or Amontillado Tio Diego, and you're looking to get something, if you can't find Valdespino at your local wine shop, check out El Maestro Sierra or Fernando de Castilla. Those are two great bodegas also located in Jerez. And if you're looking for a Manzanilla and you can't find La Guita, check out La Cigarrera. As always, subscribe to Buy the Glass to get fresh episodes every Wednesday. And feel free to give us a follow or slide into our DMs on Instagram or just slap a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Whatever feels good, you do you. As always, keep drinking good drinks and wash your hands and see you soon.